Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Uh, glad to have those of you who are joining with us uh, on our Facebook, on YouTube, Twitter, any of those platforms. Be sure to like, to heart, to share uh, there. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. You'll get those notifications when we go live. Welcome also to our phone live streaming individuals. Uh, if you need that number in person, see me after the service. I'll be glad to give that to you. You can call the church office uh, anytime and we'd be glad to share that with you. But just want to say welcome to those who are listening there on our phone live streaming. If you have access to our church website, I encourage you to go to HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download the worship bulletin for today. If you need these in person, uh, they're in the windowsills at my right and left as well as at the doors. Uh, you can pick one of those up. Uh, we also have our children's worship bulletins over here in the windowsill to my right. So be sure to get those if you have kids. Uh, in a little while, we'll be dismissing for children's church. So I want to encourage you uh, to take advantage of that also. If you need those at home, uh, those are under that info tab. So be sure to download those. You can share those, uh, share the link. You can print them off yourself if you want uh, and share the link to anybody uh, that you want there. As well as our prayer list is under that info tab. Be sure to uh, take a look at that. If you need these in person, they're on the table out here across uh, from the offices uh, in the magazine rack there. So be sure to grab one of those and be praying for uh, those individuals on that list. It is great to see everybody that's here this morning. If you're one of our guests, uh, even if you're just a first-time guest, you're visiting from out of town even, uh, we want to encourage you, if you will, to pick up one of the gift bags at the sides of the stage or at the doors uh, as you leave. There's just some things in there we want to give to you to say thank you for being here with us, uh, some gifts, as well as there's some information about our church and our services uh, in there. If you are one of our first-time guests, there's a card in, you, in the pew in front of you. Uh, you can scan the QR code and fill that information out, or you can fill it out uh, on the paper form there itself. And if you have one of those bags already, <clears throat> there's one of those forms inside that bag. So please be sure to fill that out, place it in the offering plate before you leave, 
So that way we can follow up with you to let you know how glad we are to have you with us this morning. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Good morning, all. If you're ready to worship, please join us by standing and sing Worthy of Worship, hymn number three. I want to draw your attention to your bulletins this morning uh, with our missionaries of the week there. I want to encourage you to take the time uh, to read their story, but to remember them also in prayer. Wesley and Emily Smythe, they're serving there in the sub-Saharan African peoples, uh, and God is using them uh, there in send relief in West Africa. Uh, during COVID, they uh, were able to, to uh, host an international church uh, in their home. The kids helped uh, even to uh, run the church services were up to nine different nationalities uh, gathered together. So we want to uplift them in prayer this morning in our missions emphasis. But we also this morning uh, want to uplift uh, these blankets that are over here to my right. Uh, these blankets are from our Awana kids who've uh, helped to tie all those and some of the adults who help with that, but mostly the kids who helped to tie all those. Um, these were going to Isaiah 117 house. There's 21 of these blankets, and so we want to pray for them. But I want you to watch this short video, if you will, uh, to see what Isaiah uh, 117 house is all about. Hi, my name is Rhonda Paulson. I'm the founder and executive director of Isaiah 117 house. What if there was a home? That's the question that began to plague me and my husband in 2017 because we learned about removal day. We learned that when a child is removed from their home and everything they've ever known, they go to a state office to sit and wait. We learned that they're tired and they're hungry and they're scared. 
We learned that that wait is often hours, sometimes days. And we began to ask the question, what if there was a home? What if when a child is going through one of the most terrifying days of their life, they don't go to a state office, they go to a home? What if instead of being greeted by multiple caseworkers, they were greeted by a volunteer whose sole purpose was to greet them at the door, call them by name, and say, what do you need? On a day when you don't feel like you have a voice, what do you need? What if there was a home? As we learned about removal day and we thought, you know, a lot of these children, they need a bath. What if there was a home? What if we could have a bubble bath ready? What if we could have a shower ready for those teenagers? We learned that children are hungry as they wait for hours and oftentimes there's just a snack machine or some quick fast food. What if there was a home? We have a kitchen. We could fix them anything they want to eat. We could bake cookies. We found out that they come into custody with nothing but a black trash bag. What if there was a home? What if there was a closet full of everything they could need? School supplies, shirts, pants, coats, shoes, anything that they might need. And then we started to think about the caseworkers because removal day is hard on everybody. What if there was a home? What if that tired caseworker could come in and we could fix them a cup of coffee, find out their favorite creamer? What if we could then say, why don't you go on the back porch, call your husband, take a breath. I know this has been hard. And then we started to think about that future placement, whether that be a foster parent or a grandmother. What if there was a home? What if we could reach out and whatever they need, granny, if you need five beds, new foster placement, you need car seats, you need diapers, formula, wipes, dinner. Don't run to Walmart, don't run to Target. Let us help you. We're a home. We have what you need. That's Isaiah 117 house. We're a home that reduces trauma for children, lightens the load of caseworkers, and eases that transition for that future placement. And we do it all under a roof with lots of grace, love, and joy. We want that home in your community. We want the children of your community to be reminded that God loves them, that he built a house for them because he will always go before them. He's never forgotten them and they are not alone. Amen. And that is what Isaiah 117 house is all about, is ministering to those children. And that's where these blankets will be going to, is to those children to help Isaiah 117 house to make them feel comfortable during that transition. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for uh, these blankets that will be going to that ministry, as well as to Wesley and Emily Smythe, uh, who are serving there in uh, West Africa. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for all that you are doing in and through our church uh, here locally, uh, across our state, and around the world. Uh, Father, we thank you for missionaries who have answered the call to go and to serve. And Father, we pray that we will continue to uplift them in our prayers. Place your hedge of protection about the Smythe family. Father, we pray that you'll provide for their every need there in, the, in West Africa as they continue to minister to people. Uh, Father, we pray for these blankets that are going to Isaiah 117 house and helping them to minister to those children. As these children receive these blankets, Lord, as they wrap up in them, uh, may they not only feel the warmth of those blankets, Lord, I pray more importantly, may they feel the warmth of your presence, of your love, as you watch over them and protect them uh, through that process that they're going through. And so, Father, we just pray that you would have your blessings upon them and upon those caseworkers and upon those families who are receiving them uh, into foster care there. And so, Father, we just pray that uh, your blessings will be upon us this morning as we continue to give, that every Sunday as we're giving, we're giving not only to support the work of this church locally, we are also giving to support the work of missionaries across this state, around this nation, and across the world also. And so, Father, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts to continue to give to your kingdom work. It's not about us uh, in particular, any persons here. It's all about you, and so we uplift all of those needs to you. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing to the nations of this world. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to worship you this morning, whatever cares or burdens that we have brought with us, we come and lay those things uh, at the altar at your feet, and we ask, Lord, for you to take those burdens and to take Take them into your hands and to lift that burden and that weight off of us, Lord, and to fill us with your spirit. Lord, as we come to worship you, I pray that we'll worship you in song, in word, as we hear from your word, and as we respond to what you tell us to do in your word. So bless us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Uh, let me just encourage you too, if you're at home especially, uh, you're there on HowlandBaptistChurch.com. You can go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and do your online giving. You can do that in person if you want to also, uh, but you will have offering envelopes that are in the pews in front of you there. Uh, there are some at the doors also and in the windowsills. Uh, you can pick those up and do your uh, offering uh, in the plates down here at the front. There are also plates uh, at the door. Uh, if you helped this past week on Tuesday with our Trunk or Treat event, would you just stand for just a moment in any way if you help you brought candy you helped us with traffic control you helped us with hot chocolate whatever you helped with let's give all these people a hand thank you so much we had 375 kids about 1100 total people uh, who came through on Tuesday evening. It was a steady stream uh, all night long. Lots of parents, lots of grandparents, lots of family members who were with those kids. Uh, that's why we're able to tell you 1,100. We know we gave out 375 kids uh, packets that we gave to them. And so thank you so much for your prayers and us being able to reach out to, to help in those things. You're going to hear some other things later as we continue uh, to, to do some more mission emphasis. Uh, we've got our Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes that are already being Turned in. This is where you'll turn them in. If you're bringing those back, you'll find empty boxes on the sides of the stage if you want to take one of those home to begin packing uh, one of those to have those back uh, to us in just a couple of weeks as our collection week. So please be sure to take the time to do that. Brother Mike. Christ bore our sins uh, by giving his body, shedding his blood. He paid it all. Let's sing. He, Jesus paid it all. M134, join the choir as we sing this song. for our next hymn, Children's Church will be gathering over on the piano side. Uh, turn with us and stand and let's sing 144, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to Luke's Gospel. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, uh, is what we're going to be looking at this morning. These are the very last words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Uh, we've been talking for the last several weeks about the death of Jesus uh, and about making sure that we're ready uh, when we die. None of us are really prepared to, to live until we're prepared to die. And honestly, every day... Many of us wake up fighting this battle uh, against death. We have our weapons at our side. We have our diets and our exercise and our doctors and medicine and hospitals and, and vitamins. But we know deep down that death always wins in the end. Uh, truly, no death is an accident. But every death is an appointment. And so uh, when our appointment time comes, we need to make sure that we're ready uh, to meet it. And thankfully, uh, Jesus Christ himself teaches us here in these very last words that he speaks from the cross here, uh, some things that we ought to want to, to know so that we're prepared when we die, that we would have a right heart before him. And so to hear the very last words that Jesus has ever spoke while he was physically alive, we come to what Luke records for us here in Luke 23, and verse 46. Would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word? Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that we have been looking at of Jesus on the cross and in the entirety even of the life of Jesus as the physical life is about to come to an end in the passages we've been studying. Father, I pray that we would learn this morning from the life of Jesus the things that he is trying to teach us even from the cross about things that we need to be prepared and ready uh, to do before that day comes for any of us. So bless your word this morning. May it go forth and not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Now as you look at the verse, Luke is the only gospel writer that records the very last words that Jesus ever spoke. And you would expect that. Because Luke is a doctor, and as a doctor, he was uh, intensely interested in death. Uh, as he's investigating the life of Jesus, now remember, Luke was not one of those 12 disciples who went around with Jesus, so he wasn't always there. So he's asked uh, some of the other disciples, some of, those, uh, some of his family members and others around uh, to share with him, and he's, God's been inspiring him through the power of the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Luke, to give us an account uh, from his perspective as God uh, wants, some, wants to make sure that we have from Luke's perspective a certain aspect of Jesus's life and so uh, here he is as a doctor uh, wanting to know everything about the death of Jesus in his research he comes across these last words of Jesus it's not news that Jesus is dying I mean we've talked about this already before crucifixion had a perfect record one out of every one person that was crucified died and do you know this it's a fact that death has a perfect record one out of every one person's dies every single one of us are going to face that day that's appointed for each one of us you die i die uh, we all die everybody dies so death for jesus isn't a surprise what made his death so stunning uh, was the way that he died because death doesn't have the last word with Jesus. We talked about this before, that when you are being crucified, uh, you don't necessarily die from, from losing blood from being nailed to the cross or having your feet nailed to the cross. What you die from is the asphyxiation. Uh, you can't raise yourself up and the fluids begin to build up and you can't breathe and, and you're gasping for breath. And these are the very last words that Jesus in his physical life utters to those from the cross and to us 
through time and, and eternity. And so death really doesn't have the last words with Jesus because we're going to see here uh, that, that, remember when they came to Jesus, uh, many times what they would do to the people on the cross, uh, you remember from the scripture, uh, they would break their legs. Why would they break their legs? So they couldn't keep rising up. Uh, even, even though their feet are nailed, they couldn't keep rising up to take that gasp of breath. No longer would they be able to do that when they broke their leg. But when they came to Jesus, as we're going to find out later, uh, Jesus had already died. And so there was no need to, to break his leg. Remember, they took the spear and they pierced it into his side and blood and water flowed, mingled down, uh, down the cross, down his, his body. And, and so uh, he died before death took uh, him physically. And so what made his death so stunning here, as we said, is that death doesn't really have the last word with Jesus. Jesus has the last word with death. Because here's the story from Luke's gospel. If you go back just a few verses from where we just began in Luke 23, go back to verse 44. Verse 44, 45, and then into verse 46, and you begin to get the bigger picture of the story of where we are. So verse 44 says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We've already talked about that, how that darkness came uh, over the land, and nobody was speaking a word. Everybody was quiet. Jesus doesn't even speak uh, during that, that time uh, of the darkness here. And, and the very first things he says, as we uh, remember from coming out of that darkness, uh, is that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, now the, the sun's light has failed, verse 45 says. The curtain of the temple has been torn in two. Darkness is over the land uh, until about the ninth hour. Uh, the darknesses begin to fade back to the light. And then we find here in the very last words of Jesus, Jesus calls out with a loud voice and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. <clears throat> and having said this, he breathed his last. It's important for us to realize that it was Jesus who willingly laid down his life. His life was not taken from him. He gave his life for us. And so the last thing that he does, uh, he, he doesn't go out quietly uh, into the night. Uh, it's interesting that when you look at the New Testament gospel writers, uh, all of them are content to, uh, none of them are content to simply say that Jesus uh, died. They all say that his spirit went directly into the hands of God. He doesn't go out quietly. He doesn't go out with a whimper. He goes out with a bang. And the last thing he does here is to, as he dies is to die into God's hands. But that's the only way you die in God's hands is with a right heart. And so in his last statement here, he tells us how we are to die into the hands of God as believers. So here's the first point I want you to get from this passage this morning. That if we're going to die with a right heart before God, we need to be connected to the Father's heart. We need to be connected to the Father's heart. You see this in verse 46. Now every part of this statement that Jesus makes here is extremely important but especially the very first word he says. What's the first word he says? Father. He says, Father. Uh, it's actually, what he says here in this whole statement, is actually a quote from Psalm 31 and verse 5 that was written by David. David said this, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And it would be felt very familiar to any Jew who heard Jesus say this. Because every Jewish mother would teach their children to recite that verse from Psalm 31 and verse 5 every night before they went to bed. As a matter of fact, for many children, it would be the first verse of Scripture that they would ever learn. You know, you remember back in the 18th century... Uh, there was a children's prayer that was written that many parents taught their children to say at night and, and even was into the 19th and 20th century and some people still even teach their children uh, to say it today. You may remember it. It goes something like this. 
And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, that prayer, you may not realize it, that's a modern form of the prayer that Jesus just prayed straight from God's word in Psalm 31 and verse 5. But there's something different about this prayer that Jesus prays that's different from the Psalm 31 5 passage. Because even though King David originally wrote that prayer, Jesus prayed it in a way that no other Jewish person had ever prayed it because of the word that he adds at the beginning, Father. There's no record that any Jew ever prayed that way until Jesus did. Jesus wanted the world to know that he was dying connected to the Father's heart. He cries out in his last words, Father. One of the things that irritated the Pharisees so much was the way that he kept referencing to kept referring to himself uh, to God and, and referring to God as his father uh, one of the first words that you hear Jesus say remember when he was a teenage boy he was about 12 years old uh, and, and they were the only words that we have that are recorded uh, from when he was a youth and he said this to his mom and to his dad in Luke 2 and verse 49 he said to them why were you looking for me did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, this was a favorite term that he used uh, for the God of heaven. Now, there are four major relationships that God either has with us or wants to have uh, with us. One is as our creator. He is the creator who has created everyone who is here this morning. He created everything in the beginning, and he has created you, and he's created me. He's created us for himself to have a relationship with him. He also wants to not only be your creator, to be your king. Uh, that you, In other words, that he has authority over your life. That you are not the king, you are not the master uh, of your life. That you have surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ as he is your king. But he also wants to have a relationship with you as your judge. Now, here's what I want to share with you about that. So often we think of that in a negative, but let me tell you this. I'd rather have Jesus as my judge than any other judge this world ever gives. Because remember here, it's the judge, God, the, God who is our judge, sends his only begotten son to die on the cross for us, to pay the sin debt that we could not pay. What, a, what an awesome judge that is. Who says, every single one of you who are here this morning, you are guilty. But I have made a way for you to be made right. And that is through the precious blood of my son, Jesus Christ. So he wants to be our judge. And also, another relationship that God either has with us or wants to have with us is as our father. In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, how did he tell them? He said, here's how you should pray. You should begin, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, so when you look at those four relationships that he wants to have with us as creator, as king, as judge, as our Father, the one of those relationships that is fundamental to all the other three, understand this, God is creator, but he didn't create us just so we could exist. He is king. But he didn't just create us to rule over us. God is judge, but he didn't just create us to, to penalize us when we do wrong or to reward us when we do right. God is Father, and he created us to love us and to be loved by us as a part of his family. You see, the most important thing about God isn't that you believe that he exists, but that you know him for who he really is as your father. There was a math teacher who was trying to teach a fifth, first grader class about how to add, so she called on this boy named Brad, and she said, Brad, if you have $2 and you ask your father for $10, how much will you have? Brad said, $2. And the teacher said, you don't know your math. 
Brad said, well, you don't know my father. <laughs> to know whether or not your heart is right to answer this key question, is God my father? Is God your father? Before you can answer that question, let me explain it here. You aren't ready to live until you're ready to die, to die to self. Uh, to take up your cross daily and to follow him. You aren't ready to die until you're ready to meet God. And you aren't ready to meet God until you know him as your father, and you cannot know him as your father until you become his child. You don't become his child until you're born again into his family. And you aren't born again into his family until you receive his son, Jesus Christ. Simply, God becomes your father when you become his child, but you only become his child when you receive his son. When you die, you want to make sure that your heart is right with God the Father because he is your father. He, he only becomes your father when you receive Jesus Christ. And if you want to be calling on God as your father when you die, then you have to now call on Jesus as your Savior. Here's the second thing Jesus is saying in this last statement that we need to apply to our lives to be sure that we die right also, is that we need to be committed to the Father's hands. Be committed to the Father's hands. Listen to that statement again. In verse 46 that he prays father into your hands I commit my spirit so you're listening there to the last words that that Jesus in the flesh ever uttered from uh, in, in the natural physical body and notice he's the only person who ever chose to die if you're suicidal you can choose how you die when you die but you can't choose to die because you could try to take your life and it doesn't work I've known many people who've done that and then they live with the the consequences of that understand this death doesn't have to ask your permission to take you but it had to get his permission make no mistake about this in the end Jesus was not murdered. Uh, unlike most people who were crucified, we said already he didn't die from asphyxiation. He didn't die from dehydration. He didn't die involuntarily. He chose to die. Jesus said this about his own physical life in John chapter 10 and verse 18. He said, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. He says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. So he died, Jesus died voluntarily. Now you see in that word in verse 46, commit, uh, the Greek word there is a word that means literally to place beside. It was actually a banking term that referred to depositing your money or something valuable into a safe place. You know, it's like many people today who have very valuable items, they put them into a, a safe deposit box uh, at the bank. So you, a, a deposit is something you do on your own. It's something you do voluntarily. It's not something somebody forces you to do. Jesus voluntarily deposits his spirit and his life into God the Father's hands. So understand this, there was never any Old Testament sacrifice that ever died voluntarily. There was no lamb that ever climbed up on the altar uh, by himself to die. He had to place that lamb on the altar, and, and you had to hold him down before you killed it. Jesus died voluntarily. He did it fully trusting God by placing his spirit into God's hands. You know, we've said this repeatedly, that you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Well, you're not ready to die until you're also ready to deposit your spirit into God's hands to say, here I am, God. Take all that I am. Take my spirit. I am yours. And understand you aren't ready even to live until you're ready to live your life in God's hands. You want to know the secret? If God is your father, 
then you're in the hands of God right now. In this same psalm that Jesus just quoted in Psalm 31, later on in that same psalm, in Psalm 31, verse 15, David wrote these words. He said, my times are in your hand. There's no safer place in this entire world to be than in the hands of the Almighty God. His hands are never full. Those hands never fail. And from those hands, you can never fall. You don't have to be afraid to die when you give your heart, your life to Him, when you deposit your life into the safety deposit box of the hands of God who loves you and gives you eternal life. Here's the final point that we get from Jesus' last words. That if we're going to be ready to die, we also have to be confident in the Father's hope. Confident in the Father's hope. Why do we need to be confident in the Father's hope? Because my salvation is not in myself. It's not in anything I can do. It's all in what the Father has already done for you in sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to down the cross for you. So there's one final word to notice in what Jesus said. Look again at verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Notice what Jesus committed into the Heavenly Father's hands. Jesus deposited with his Heavenly Father, not his body, that was going to remain on the cross a little while longer. It would be punctured by a soldier's spear. It would be wrapped in spices and cloths and placed into a tomb. What Jesus commits to the Father was the most valuable part of every single one of us that separates us from the animals and the plants. Uh, it's our spirit. You see, many people uh, learn too late that the most valuable part of you is what is inside of you. Your body is going to die but your spirit is going to live on forever somewhere. It's going to live on forever uh, in, 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 in heaven or in hell. And, and so uh, when your body is going to do that, as you know you're going to live somewhere, that's why we ought not to have as believers a fear of death if we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Because you're going to deposit the, the one thing that's going to live forever into the hands of a God who lives from forever past to forever future. So the death of Jesus is a model of how we ought to face death. We ought to face death with courage and with confidence, not afraid, not worried, not anxious, knowing that in the final moments of our life, we can commit who we really are into the loving hands of a loving Father. All too often we fear death because death is final. We aren't exactly sure what happens sometimes when we die. It means leaving a world that we've known. It, it means uh, to go to another world that we've never seen. Uh, but because of this one statement, what we know about Jesus' death ought to free us from the fears of our own death as believers. Because what happened to Jesus when he died is what happens to us when we die if we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus died with a prayer so that no follower of Jesus will ever die without one. What Jesus said when he died, we can say when we die. When the child of God draws their last breath, Understand this, there won't be any hassles of trying to find out all the, the wrong things you did in your life. Your passport has already been signed, sealed, and delivered on the cross of Jesus Christ. You'll be personally escorted into heaven by a God who is holding your spirit in his hands. But here's one other thing. Don't miss how Jesus said his last words. We know what he said, but don't miss how. He said these last words. Then Jesus calling out 
with a loud voice said. This is no ordinary death by crucifixion. Because normally when the crucified person died, it was due to that progressive weakening, the shutting down of the vital organs, the, the, st the slow heartbeat, the, the unconsciousness, a feeble death. Jesus didn't die defeated. Jesus died victorious. And that's the way we can all die in God's hands. Philip Yancey uh, wrote in one of his books, A Cry of Grief. He said this, For everyone, death involves a process of letting go, of letting go of the attachments of, of our relatives, of our friendships, of our possessions, of our identity, of everything that defines life for us, we let go in death. For the Christian, he said, death also involves and anticipation of new beginnings. We let go of bodies that have served us, not perfectly, but well enough, in exchange for a new body. We let go of the known life that we've experienced, that, that, that's been touched with the grace and, and pleasure of this life, but also of evil and pain in exchange for the promise of life perfected. He said, we, go, uh, we let go the muddle or the confusion of doctrine and wavering faith in exchange for a sure knowledge at last. And during the rest of life, we prepare for that exchange. Understand this, we can have a confidence in the Father's hope of not just our spirit being deposited into his hands, but also of those same hands taking that spirit, and one day he's going to place that spirit in a resurrected body that will love him and live for him forever. You cannot be ready to live until you're ready to die. And you aren't ready to die until you do it in God's hands. Are you ready for this? God loves to use the little things. It's not as if God can't use the big things, but he loves to use the little things because that's where he gets the greatest glory, and that's when he grows the greatest faith. Uh, there's a song that says, Little is much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. You may think that, that, that what you have to give God is small. You may think that your life is insignificant. You may think that it really doesn't matter. Some of the greatest things that God ever uses are little things. Uh, think of all the little things that God used in the Bible to accomplish unbelievable things. He used a slingshot in the hand of a shepherd boy. He used a, a, a mite a little tiny small coin in the hands of a widow. He used a teenage poverty-stricken virgin girl to bring about the birth of the Messiah. He used a little mustard seed to teach about the faith the size of a mustard seed. Think about this. Do you know what really determines the value of something? Whose hands you put it into. You ever thought about that? You can buy Major League Baseball on Amazon for about $12. If you bought that baseball and you put it in my hands, it's only going to be worth about $12. But if you put that baseball into the hands of a top-shelf major league pitcher, that baseball can become worth hundreds of thousands, even millions. It matters whose hands you place your life in. If you were to take a $20 football and place it in my hands, I could maybe throw it a few yards. But you put it into the hands of somebody like a Peyton Manning, his hands can do wonders with that football. You put a basketball into my hands. I can't play basketball. I can shoot a few baskets and if I'm playing all by myself. But if you put that, that basketball, that same basketball, into the hands of somebody like a Michael Jordan, he can run circles around anybody. You can put a $30 baseball bat in my hands. You can throw a 50-mile-per-hour baseball at me, and I'll strike out every time if it wasn't for my baseball coach who used to always hit me with the baseball. But you put that same baseball bat in the hands of a person like a Hank Aaron, and he can hit a home run 
after home run. You put a set of golf clubs in my hands. I can maybe chop some weeds with them, uh, hit some balls over into the bushes and into the trees, but you put those same golf clubs into the hands of a person like a Tiger Woods, he can hit under par every time. Here's the point. What makes your life so valuable? Isn't how big it is, how important you are by this world's standards, but what you did with the life that you have. I want you to hear this clearly. He doesn't want you to give something that somebody else is. So often we want to compare ourselves to other people. We say, well, well, so-and-so, they've got X, they've got Y, they've got Z. They ought to do this, they ought to do that. The only thing you have that is of any valuable is what you're willing to give to God, your life. And in God's hands, even our failures, even the insignificance of who we may be, we place that into his hands. And that, those failures and those tragic sinful choices can be completely remade into something new and redemptive. Here's the final thing I want you to get. You put nails in my hands, and I can't do much for you. But you put those same nails in the hands of Jesus and he'll die for you and he'll save you from your sins and he'll live in your heart until you enter into his presence one day in heaven Jesus placed his spirit into the hands of the Father the question for us this morning is will you will you will you let's pray Heavenly Father what a powerful example Jesus has left us from the cross. Because so often, Lord, we think, I'm nothing. What could God do with me? Sometimes we even think that I'm beyond the grace and the mercy of God. I'm beyond even maybe saving. And yet God says, no. If you will place your spirit into my hands... I'll save you from your sins. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that if there are those who are here or those who are maybe watching online who they've never done that, they've never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, I pray this morning that they would give their heart and their life to you to say, here I am, God. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I take my spirit and I place it into your hands. Take my life and use me. Save me from my sin. And use me in your kingdom work to do whatever you would have me to do. Until I draw that last dying breath. And one day I enter into your presence. And you take that spirit that I've given to you and you put it in to a new body. A resurrected body. A perfect body. Father, I pray that you would speak that truth into our hearts this morning, that those individuals would confess their sin, repent of their sin, and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, there are others who are here this morning as believers, and they have maybe been feeling like, I I'm insignificant, I'm nothing, who, who am I? I can't do anything. And yet you're saying to them too this morning, I want you to place your spirit, your life into my hands every single day till you draw your last breath. I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life and I want to use you to make a great impact for my kingdom Lord we give ourselves to you this morning in whatever state that we are whether we're lost or whether we're saved and we come and ask for your will to be done in this invitation have your way and your will in our hearts in Jesus precious name we pray amen as we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 318, will you come as the Lord lays upon your heart this morning? As we stand, would you come?
moment. Brother Tommy's going to share our announcements. We want to keep, uh, excuse me, is there anybody that has any announcements they need to come? Okay. Uh, we need to keep the, uh, Jeff Dodson in our prayers and keep uh, the family of Ken Jordan in their prayers. Uh, no service has been planned at this time. And uh, Cindy Jordan has been moved from the hospital to uh, NHC. Uh, please keep her in your prayers. Uh, Brian Tate has a medical procedure. Keep him in your prayers. And uh, with uh, Veterans Day coming up on Saturday, please keep all of our military and former military in your prayers, though none of us are ever actually former military. Um, and the deacon ordination uh, council will meet at 4 o'clock, and a deacon ordination service will be uh, tonight for Stephen Paco Prince. Oh, I'm sorry. And all are all ordained men are invited to attend both the council and encouraged to attend the uh, ordination service tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for who you are. For all that you have done for us, the sacrifice of your son to pay for our sins. Thank you. Dear Lord, be with us as we go through the rest of the rest of the day and place place your special hand on the on the on the people that need your your special touch. Dear Lord, we ask that you forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's holy name. Amen. <laughs>